It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is Time Enough Podcast. Welcome to Time Enough Podcast. It's the podcast where we talk about episodes of the Twilight Zone and beyond, 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 beyond. Hi, this is Matt here with me today. It's Scott Atkinson. Hello. Greetings one and all. How goes it? It's groovy, man. And today, I don't know, it's maybe not so like a groovy episode. It does feature the word groovy in 1961. That was groovy. It does it does <laughs> and what an application of it too i don't think the original meaning of the word groovy uh, was entitled to be used that way but anyway <laughs> this is the episode 22 which amusingly you had trouble finding last night in the set of discs because first you looked for episode 22 but it's not that it's 22 then you looked at volume 22 of the set of discs it's not on there either so it was a bit of a search and probably having a few stiff ales beforehand probably didn't help, so... Right, right. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so this being one of the Bizarro videotape episodes, uh, one of six where they tried to cut costs, they only saved 30000 bucks and decided it was not worth it in the end. Uh, how did you feel? Because you, you haven't seen that many Twilight Zones. Not since my childhood, no. No, so it's been about the first time in 30 years okay because you know you get the filmed episodes they have a nice crisp look and this i know did this how did this one look for you yeah it was um it was beautiful i mean it uh it took me back actually to my childhood of um showing my age there but um of being in a disturbing hospital thankfully not that in an evening gown (laughs) Um, very lovecraftian so how how big or not big is the twilight zone in uh, australia because as we know in japan the tower of terror is not even the twilight zone tower of terror here because it's not that popular in japan how about australia um in terms of the twilight zone yeah i mean it's got a lot of a lot of fans um especially a little bit older than than my generation uh yeah but i mean basically twilight zone is a household name um on late night tv as a kid i'd, I'd often see uh twilight zone just in the in the paper, but, um, yeah, in the TV guide, but, mm. um, I have seen episodes, um, but it was just so far back. I can't quite recollect unless I do a right. early life. But I've sent you a brick of them now. So not, Scott is now in possession of my original yeah. brick of 20 year old DVDs with horrible menu screens. I definitely appreciate what I saw. So yeah, thanks for the opportunity last night. It was definitely, definitely some, uh, great media. Loved it. Let me lay down a little bit of the trivia on this one. Uh, the air date was February 10th, 1961. Rod Serling wrote the script based on a short story from a 1944 anthology called Famous Ghost Stories. That, in turn, took its inspiration from a 1906 tale called The Bus Conductor. Jack Smite is back to direct one of his four journeys into the Twilight Zone. Of course, by the 70s, he would later move into Damnation Alley. I just can't mention him without mentioning Damnation Alley. Damnation Alley. It's it's a weird like kind of 
post-apocalyptic sort of action film. Mm. Yeah, or something like that. At least that's what the poster makes it look like. I, I have to admit I haven't actually watched it. So if it's not post-apocalyptic, sorry. at least sorry. an alleyway of such travesties. Yes. <laughs> Our hysterical Liz Powell was played by Barbara Nichols. She appeared in many films and TV guest spots from the late 1950s to the 1970s. Unfortunately, there was room for one more as she succumbed to organ injuries sustained from multiple car accidents at only age 47. At first, I was like, oh, that's bad disease. I was like, wait a minute, multiple car accidents and injuries? What was going on there? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I don't know. So, I just, we've had so many tales of Hollywood Babylon among um, Twilight Zone guest stars. And I was like, oh, this isn't one. And Hopefully her car was in a version of Room 305. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to hear that. The Doctor is played by Jonathan Harris. Of course, he is better known as a different Doctor. The disquieting and patronizing Dr. Zachary Smith on Lost in Space. Uh, Late in life, he also did voice work in A Bug's Life and Toy Story 2. Fred Wayne, and as far as Wiki tells me, Fred is spelled with two Ds. That's pretty awesome. (laughs) Fred Wayne was Barney Kaminer. Kaminer, did I get that right? Yes. He made many appearances on stage and screen over a seven-decade career, but gained the most praise for his one-man show, Benjamin Franklin Citizen. He was also a prolific writer, publishing articles and publications such as the New York Times, the LA Times, and Playboy. And finally, the morgue nurse was played by Arlene Martell, a.k.a. Arlene Sachs. I don't remember which one's on the credit in this episode. Sachs, I think? She was a go-to actor when the production needed a lady with a malleable, quote-unquote, exotic face. Uh, all of you Trekkies out there will remember her as Tipal from Star Trek's Amok Time. It was exotic, yeah. Now, um, this is where I force you to read the prologue. Um, you could try a Rod Serling impression if you want. You can just read it if you want. Um, I've had people do Southern Mad Men, Mad Men so it's kind of up to you, but a uh, little bit. So, just from there, irritate. No, from this is... Gotcha. This is Ms. Liz Powell. She's a professional dancer, and she's in the hospital as a result of overwork and nervous fatigue. And, at this moment, we have just finished walking with her in a nightmare. In a moment, she'll wake up and will remain at her side. The problem here is that both Ms. Powell and you'll reach a point where it might be difficult to decide which is reality and which is a nightmare. A problem uncommon perhaps, but rather peculiar to the Twilight Zone. Cool. So I'm going to start this one like a little differently. I want to talk about clothing first. That struck me as like totally bizarre in this episode because she's been in the hospital for a week. She's a dancer for exhaustion and she's wearing like a kind of evening gown thing the whole time. Very sort of Marilyn Monroe-esque. Exactly. And And then you mentioned she has like the leopard print uh, stuffed animals and that weird clown and stuff and yeah that was a an interesting theme throughout that like the way she clutched it close to her bosom was like some sort of like totem animal or maybe like a shaman's maybe power uh, what would I say like a power animal power spirit animal totem or something like that yeah 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 but um, I thought that was weird although I, I stayed in the hospital a few years ago and I, I did rock and what I'm wearing exactly what I'm wearing now I'd go around in like a a t-shirt and and stuff because they didn't care um although i had to have like a you know a needle in my arm for like three days so i ended up wearing like a pet sounds t-shirt for three days but 
That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. So, so, but wearing like an evening gown, I wouldn't have been like in bed in like a tuxedo, you know? No, it's not, not, it's not grunge. Yeah. And then when she leaves the hospital, now she's in a very um, kind of like all covering black gown, except for there's a cleavage hole. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. they, they keep mentioning, oh, she's a professional dancer, she's had exhaustion. Then once, what? who is it, her manager or somebody? No, the um, doctor, the doctor first says, oh, she's a stripper. And then everyone's like, ah! And then they ne- like never say it again for the rest of the episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I just thought that, you know, I don't always note the clothing so much, but this one, it, it certainly stood out. Um, yeah, I, I've forgotten my notes, um, what his name was, but I just turned him as Dr. Creepy. But Dr. Uh, they just, said, they, uh, um, I think he actually was just the doctor. Gotcha, okay. okay. So call him Dr. Zachary Smith if you want. Gotcha, <laughs> but yeah, he says, I'd appreciate a subtle wink, you know, from the stage. Oh, and she's like, leaving. Yeah, that's yeah. he's a bit of a lech. But again, yeah. we all, since we know him as Zachary Smith, like retroactively, mm-hmm. it, it, yeah, of course he said that. Um, yeah, the first time I watched the episode, like, I, I was never a big Lost in Space fan, so I didn't have, like, an instant recognition when he was there. But he is very striking. You're definitely, like, I have seen this man before. Yeah, I recognize his face, too. And then once I saw the Lost in Space, because, oh, oh, yeah, okay, now I get it. I just haven't watched much Lost his in Space. His face reminded me, as I said last night, of Jackie Treehorn in uh, The Big Lebowski. Um, <laughs> yeah. A little bit of a similarity there. Yeah, and uh, I had seen Lost in Space as a kid um, way, way back. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a few episodes. I'm not completely bereft. I saw that movie in 1998. Haven't seen any of the newer inter- iterations, but I'm just like, that's just, yeah, that's not my uh, my sci-fi jam. Mm. I, I heard whatever the most recent one was, like, okay or something, but I don't know. Gotcha. So, <laughs> um, how about reoccurring dreams? And about them, yeah. I mean, and that's the main basis of this episode, right? It was It was fascinating. I mean... Like, you could, I think the way um, this was constructed on this episode, you could really feel like the claustrophobia that she was experiencing um, in her life from these repetitive dreams just full of dread and um, the, like, situations that you can't escape, that boxed-in, hemmed-in sort of feeling. Um, there, And you're in a chain of events of, like, cause and effect or some sort of hideous karma that you can't escape from. mm um, the breaking of the glass, um, the descent down the elevator, um, yeah. And I wonder. The of the nurse. See, I was wondering how much of that was her being lucid or not lucid, because the doctor is like, try to change something next time you have the dream, mm-hmm. which she does, and then she kind of fails. Um, actually, in another Star Trek reference, you, you might remember the the episode uh, Cause and Effect, where the Enterprise uh, spoiler alert blows up at every commercial break. You know, it's not a spoiler alert; it blows up before the opening credits. But in that, um, the the chain of events usually starts with uh, Doctor Crusher in bed breaking a glass, and at one point she tries not to break the glass, and it breaks anyway. So I was like, oh, I think that's a reference to this episode. But um, I guess in the '60s, you could have your pair of smokes next to the bedstand in your Oh right, so, yeah. he's smoking in, in bed in the hospital in an evening gown. That is that is living the life, I guess. <laughs> That's pretty grunge. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but yeah, because she starts to do things. I'm like, oh, is she lucid? Because there's so many things that at, when she's in the airport at the end, she's like, is this a dream? I can't even tell. And it's like, well, why don't you do a little jump and check her, or like you said, yeah, look at your hands. Yeah, yeah. You know, there are little dream checks you could do. Which, which, talk to the hand. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Which maybe they just didn't like. I mean, somebody had to be thinking about that in 1961. You had uh, Carlos Castaneda out there already, right? Yeah, he was keeping it real. <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, it was it was interesting too because uh, I had the feeling of, um, I guess that chain of events that she couldn't control through the dream, or <laughs> being awake. Um, that's basically destiny. I think in in life we have free will. That's also a theme, but um, maybe there are some. It's like a sort of a duality too of um, some events may be predestined. But then she, at the end, you know, where the, the morgue turns into the airplane, which promptly explodes in a somewhat questionable effect, but we'll, we'll give them that. So I guess, well, I'll talk about that in a bit, but um, I, I started thinking, did we, is this like actually the prologue to a Final Destination movie? Uh, like what you're like saying. It's like, is, are things going to continue to conspire to um, offer? <laughs> yeah. Be room there for another episode on yeah. Room for one more, honey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I'm not that versed in numerology, so I, I just checked a little bit before, but um, this morning before we chatted, um, I checked out uh, the number 22. Mm-hmm. Um, in I don't know if it's like Geomatria, but um, uh, that's the master number. So 22 is actually quite significant. So uh, the morgue being room 22. And... Um, it's basically where dreams become reality. That's the meaning of 22. Ah, okay. In some interpretations. But now, that is the master number. How about four? Because I've also heard with some Kabbalah or numerology source, so if you add the numbers and then four is the number you work with. Mm, I don't know. I mean, just because we live in Japan, as anyone here knows. that. Oh, yeah, okay. That works for yeah, in Japan. That works perfectly well, doesn't it? The number four in, I guess, the Chinese way would be like Shi, which is means death. So... You won't find hospitals um, with and, the level four. And just for listeners, most of whom probably don't speak any Japanese, you would count to five, uh, ich, ni, san, shi, go. But especially kids often go, ich, ni, san, uh, yon, go, because they don't want to say death. And yeah. it's considered, you know, if you people change their wedding dates from the 4th and yeah. April's not a popular month to get married, that sort of thing. If you've got a friend in hospital, you wouldn't give four of something, like four apples. Um, that would be definitely a no-no. People he would definitely associate that with his, as death. I had to something. double check. I got married in, in April. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We got married in February, but it was a little bit cheaper because uh, you get the, the gnarly weather then. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah, some bad weather for your wedding. That's always fun. <laughs> <laughs> Snowy stain, 30 years. But anyway, yeah. So that was kind of cool. Um, so I, I was about to go on a tangent. Now I'll go on that tangent, which is still episode related. Um, I've talked a lot about how Twilight Zones often have like the, the money shot, the effect shot, mm. which technically, I guess, in this would be the exploding airplane, but that's a really terrible shot. So now I'm thinking, is it the Morgners popping out of the doors? Is that, I feel like that's the, act, there's no effect in that, but that's kind of, that's the one that sticks, right? Yeah, it definitely has like definitely a, a, a gothic vibe to it. Um, yeah, I found um, the plane exploding was kind of unnecessary, actually. Um, it wasn't visually that impressive. but um, I think that's because it was from the earlier iterations of the story, where it was usually like a coach driver had an accident or something instead. Like the first one's a bus conductor, right? So um, in those cases, it's it's that's the what has the accident which makes a little more sense so here's okay exploding airplane sure but that is part of the all iterations of the story that this mm. this final mode of transportation to your final destination um has some horrific accident definitely the uh like you mentioned the reappearance of the the nurse like outside the dream the uh the exotic featured nurse um i think yeah that was quite a quite a good shock to the system there that was uh, oh yeah i was thinking because nobody really reacts to her just like 
screaming and stumbling down the uh, airplane steps. I, I, maybe that happens every day. <laughs> Airliners. Unless bath salts are involved or something. But yeah, that was... I was uh, like, that's a pretty... Like extent, the out. They're just like, okay, just lock the door, let's take off and explode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, the, the other little twist in this is that the doctor and the nurse... After they've discharged, or no, right before they discharge her, they have the conversation where he's like, how does she know that's the number of the morgue? Patients can't go down there. Mm. So um, that adds a little wrinkle. I mean, maybe she's like sleepwalking at 3 a.m. and actually did go down there and, you know. But. That is pretty creepy. <laughs> yeah. that, that's the one that really like, I mean, that's where the doctor is even like, what's going on here? Because otherwise, as he says it, I mean. It's weird, it's it's disturbing, but it's pretty normal within a, a case of the hysterics. It's like astral projection or sort of uh, some sort of out-of-body experience. Yeah. And she should have um, gone to the Kremlin, got some real useful information. Or hung out with Cal- Carlos Castaneda. Yeah. You know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, interesting. Um, um, you have a whole bunch of notes here. You got you got anything else you want, just you want to throw out while we're spit-taking? Yeah, just some of the language, uh, some of the language of the, of the time, you know, especially um, aimed at sort of women or, you know, people like, you know, her as a patient, like, how are you doing, kitten? Like, the amount of times <laughs> say, they refer to her as kitten, and then... Was that her stage name? I, I'd have to see it again. I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't actually catch that. Uh, we, we watched it after 11 last night, and, uh, but, um, I was pretty tired, but... Um, uh, let's see. But then I loved her retort, though. Like, she didn't take any crapola. So, you must be great at funerals, laughing boy, she reports. <laughs> you know, retorts to uh, Barney or Barnaby. Yeah, so it's like, her, her agent, yeah, manager, yeah. whatever. And, yeah, with the word groovy. Now, that sounds like a groovy idea. So It uh, did, yeah. <laughs> it, was pretty, it was pretty unhip. <laughs> <laughs> it was like... Um, but, uh, actually... One thing I, I did think about as I woke up this morning, the Aberfan mining disaster. Um, do you know much about that? You should ha- detail that. Ha- happened, happened in Wales, 1966. And um, it, was, it was really tragic. Um, uh, 24 adults, I believe, um, I've got it here, and 116 children in this small uh, Welsh town were killed by... Um, Oh, I believe it was basically a, a massive front of coal slid down slope and crushed um, uh, part of the, the area, the town, as well as the school. But anyway, what was, um, I guess, grimly interesting was that there were quite a few precognitive dreams, including from the children that died. And um, there's some very well-known cases where the child's talking to their parents and they insisted that like their parent listened to them about this dream they want to communicate about um, having some dark mass of some sort of sludgy stuff crushing them. And, um, yeah, anyway, um, none of it was specific enough to stave off the fatalities from happening. There was no, like, direct concrete evidence or factual information to say, look, this this is going to be happening at 2 o'clock on this day to actually prevent anybody from dying. But... I think this was as maybe as if it was destined. There was some... The children had some um, resignation. Mm. Well, there is the idea of, you know, like quantum ripples, like a major traumatic event. You know, like quantum level doesn't care about time. So Mm. it's possible that, you know, it's like a plop in the pond. It's going to go in both directions. Mm. 
I mean, I'm just trying to put in like an actual kind of like science, somewhat scientific basis. Uh, what is Richard? Um, uh, is it Fenman? Feynman, the, the physicist who was basically like, if if you say you understand quantum physics, you're lying. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sort of thing. But there is the idea that you know events like that, emotional events, could affect brain chemistry like both directions temporally. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's say you survive the traumatic event. You have nightmares about it. Well, you might have had some nightmares before as well. And the time is now, you know, maybe ultimately there is no past or future. Right. Right. But just an interesting way that that also kind of fits this episode. Right. (laughs) Being a very sort of multifaceted universe and uh, perhaps many different dimensions and um, multiverse. so. So let's get into some questions that I shall ask of you and of myself. The first one being, who in this episode went through the Twilight Zone? Hmm. That's a good question. I, 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 this is one of the more traumatic Twilight Zone events, I think, on, on our, our main character. Was that, that's Liz again? Yeah, Liz. Okay, Liz Powell. Sorry. <laughs> this is, um, we're recording this uh, August, what, no, August, October 21st and yeah of course uh, Liz Truss is all over her news so I was like can't, couldn't remember the name Pal <laughs> yeah it seems like she's in um, <clears throat> sort of a, a bit of a like a whirlpool or something like that of um, cause and effect um, um, although think, as the doctor says these dreams these hysterics you're having are normal with people with your condition like people with this fatigue usually have this sort of thing which would kind of suggest, you know, that it's normal-ish. Now, now, once premonitions come true, of course, that kind of throws it out the window a bit. But, but it's it's interesting, too, because you've got um, people, whether it's her quote-unquote manager or um, uh, people in the hospital administration, they're sort of laying out how she should feel all the time. So it's... Uh, um, they're sort of like, almost like setting out the groundwork on how she should be feeling and sort of defining her reality rather than herself. So right, she's right. quite a lost soul in some ways. Yeah. Okay, but yeah, I, I'd say she's pretty directly in the Twilight Zone in this by, by all accounts. So, um, you know, certain sorts of insanity would probably be Twilight Zone-ish anyway. And, there's, and the supernatural element is certainly here. It's, it's, it literally is a ghost story because in its past publication iterations, it was a ghost story, like full on. Yeah, and it's ironic, too, that such places are not really about rehabilitation. Um, they're pretty grim sort of institutions and uh, maybe sort of compounds mental illness more than uh, sort of... So how about the heals. doctor? Did the doctor go into the Twilight Zone? He might be from there, but... Uh, I wouldn't... Sort of I, I feel... Manner, but... Uh, I'd, I'd almost agree with you, but there's that one scene with him and the day nurse where they're working out the whole, like, she should know 22. That's the scene where I'm like, okay, I would put him and the nurse in the Twilight Zone because they're observing the strange going-ons, which I feel like that's enough. But before that point, I kind of agree with what you said. Like, he, he almost seems like he's from it, but that one scene basically humanizes him and also has him observing the strange events going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was an interesting thing to add in in the storyline there because uh, definitely sort of ups the creepiness too so it's it's not all just a those dreams are just not like a a, a phantasm in her mind in Liz's mind I mean 
these might actually be quite real, quote unquote. <laughs> uh, how about the morgue nurse or, or the airplane flight attendant? Maybe we should say the airplane flight attendant because that seemed to be the, the real person, right? Yeah, I mean, that was, that was fascinating. I'd probably have to think about that a little bit more. Because um, if we could go by the flight attendant, she just watches a woman flip out, run away from the plane, and then she closes the door and merrily goes off to her death. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, because I was just thinking more about like um, I don't know. I just had the insight just flash through as I was watching that. Um, uh, the exotic nature of the lady seemed to be sort of um, a little bit sort of Soviet or sort of Russian. So um, I just uh, was thinking about the geopolitical um, issues at the time. You know, the Cold War and so on early 60s so. yeah I, I guess um, the, the placement this is what a year before the missile crisis yeah, so yeah, it's just right around there yeah yeah so um but I mean that was that was an interesting sort of um juxtaposition there like the way um she's in sort of both scenarios um but the morgue nurse I think I'd go with the straight up she she is the twilight zone <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. My, there's, there's no rational way to really explain how she's featuring in dreams and it's there for Liz's first time to meet her. So. Yeah. Have you had that happen? You saw someone in a dream and then you later saw them in real life? Um, yes, I, I believe so. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, so. I think people do. I mean, um, there's a certain amount you might just be like convincing yourself of something, but yeah. Um, yeah, I do remember walking along a canal or river and encountering, uh, someone, who actually turned out later to be my wife. <laughs> so that was, that dream happened about, yeah, 10, 10 years, no, 15 years earlier. Okay. So, yeah, again, that that's the, the whole quantum thing. You kind of maybe recognize or get the premonition yeah. because uh, yeah. you're going to have that major life yeah. event. Um, I can't say it 100% sure. I mean, it's subjective, but um, I do, I do feel that's the case, yeah. Anyway, it's made one for the Twilight Zone, too. <laughs> We don't have to put the focus completely on Liz, although, or Kitten, although that, that's where I'm thinking of putting this question. And do keep in mind the question is intentionally vague, so I'm not going to explain to you what the question means. Is uh, Did she deserve her trip into the Twilight Zone? He deserves a really heavy word. I, I don't believe anybody would really deserve that sort of mental... Uh, <laughs> um, anguish, anguish, whatever. But, um, um, but it seemed like you know, some people might call it karma or cause and effect or something like that, but um, in some sort of a uh, mental state where she's just, um, you know, in this sort of life condition or existential condition. Yeah. And, and it, as in many Twilight Zones, we don't really know what was up with these people before the episode. Like, apparently a month earlier, she, she was a, a, a fun girl. You know, the one time the word stripper is thrown out, it's like someone just said a racial slur, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think you noted the, the weird, like, black velvet painting as uh, being yes. particularly odd. So, and then, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not saying that someone, like, I'm not saying that that profession is deserving of anything no, bad, no, no. but, you know, if you, some people into that are also into some other gnarly stuff. So maybe she's a gangster's mole for all we know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it might... It probably just reflects social mores at the time, but uh, yeah, it does seem undeserved, though. I mean, uh, um, yeah, especially when you're going down into a morgue. Um, that's 
That'd be a creepy thing to see every night in dreams. But the harrowing premonition saved her life in the end. Mm. She knows not to get on the plane. (laughs) So in that way, that you could actually say that while the experience is harrowing, it had a positive effect in the end. Yep. Yep. And and that and so in that case, you might say, okay, she did deserve it. She served out her psychic trauma in order to survive because otherwise she would have merely just hopped on the plane as well because going to miami beach <laughs> yeah what could go wrong yeah, <laughs> yeah um yeah no it's a good point because um uh i was just taking bath this morning actually thinking about um you know in japan we have these really big deep baths um but yeah i was just thinking about that a little bit this morning too because um uh in our waking state we don't always, uh, of course, you know, see things um, completely um, as they actually are. Uh, we kind of filter our realities a lot. Um, uh, we're conditioned. So, um, like, like you mentioned, that's maybe um, things from outside the waking state, um, you know, the waking conscious mind. There's a lot more influences bleeding through, maybe from other realms or quote-unquote the twilight zone. So... Um, which could actually save our life, even though to the to the regular state, it's quite quite scary. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I back to Castaneda, where we have these you know, Don Juan and his his shaman buddies out in the desert having weird magical battles and stuff. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> yeah, that's why I felt like the, the in her dream as well as waking state, she's always clutching the soft toys. Mm. Uh, one of them was, I believe, maybe something like a leopard. Yeah, it was a, a leopard and a leopard and a clown. And a clown definitely doesn't seem comforting. But and it was a creepy clown too. Oh, why not they? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this one especially. So. Yeah. yeah. So I, that was interesting. Sort of like totemistic or something like that. She's almost like a like a shaman plumbing, plumbing the depths of her own. But that, that's why I find the costuming so weird because obviously it's very clear that they you know, very purposely had her in an evening gown in the hospital. So that was just... Because the American ones, you know, that's the whole thing like Alan Watts talking about how it's, oh, they make a ritual, you know, almost. Like you have to put on the gown, you have to go in on the wheelchair, all that sort of stuff, where she's just kind of chilling and smoking cigarettes in an evening gown. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's a fascinating, fascinating state. Because I think also, um, which adds to the sort of... um, indirect but very real creepiness like Japanese horror for example um, is the lack of people you see there it's very like sparsely populated in the hospital uh, there's only four characters in this and uh, you can count a little bit of the um, I guess the day nurse yeah that's that's it oh oh uh, this is uh, in the airport this is just like an off the cuff observation but um, I don't know if you called this all but because this is this is genre geek stuff, but um, I felt like the the guy at the ticketing counter like was like a weird clone of uh, Connor Chenier who played the the engineer on uh, Star Trek Enterprise. Just looked just like him, I thought. And, and then she bumps into that other guy who um, who looked a whole lot like Matt Smith, which would make more sense because you know if the doctor happens to be traveling just into your airport mm. and saves your life, that makes sense. So I think that was Matt Smith. Um, <laughs> even though he wasn't born yet, um, <laughs> and oh, the Twilight Zone. Yeah. And right after that is when she bumps into the lady who breaks her. What is she holding? 
Because it's not a glass that breaks in the airport. It's something else, like a vase or something. Mm. But the lady just kind of like stares her and then just runs off in the opposite direction. Not not a sorry, nothing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know my um, biblical quotes and so on that much. But I think, you know, in the Bible, they talk about like, um, it's a symbol of death. You know, like the broken pitcher at the well and... Um, Ah, oh, sorry, I couldn't really quote. Um, but anyway, there's um, those are sort of um, also in dream symbology. Some of those items being broken are symbolic of death. But not for her, I guess. She's maybe a harbinger of. <laughs> well, she read the signs, didn't she? <laughs> yeah. See that? See all those. Well, she had some compulsion. The disturbing dreams were training for her, so when she did get to that stage in in, in waking life, she knows what to do, right? Yeah. Which. Well, almost knows what to do. Falling down the stairs screaming probably isn't like actually knowing what to do, but... Getting a free trip back to the uh, mental institution. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do like to place these on the tripometer. Zero is not trippy at all. Five is super trippy. You can use decimal points. You can use guttural noises. Um, what is your score for this episode? It was awesome. Um, and trippy. Well, we're, and so we're just talking... Okay, we're just talking trippy here. So not, not quality, but trippiness. Four and a half... Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I felt, I, I didn't quite feel like going that high, maybe because I hate that exploding plane effect, but, um, I, I was thinking 4.25, so, slightly lower. But who's been technical? But yeah, yeah, there's so much, <laughs> even at, when the episode's over, there's so much that's, like, ambiguous and weird that it kind of, kind of makes sense. <laughs> and it does, you know, um, bring up to the viewer some interesting life questions and sort of those existential nuggets, you know, sort of, uh, you know, what is exactly going on and, you know, how much of reality do we filter out and uh, how, what are we actually, how much of the truth are we perceiving? So, uh, yeah. So. Okay. So trippy one, folks. I guess that's why people like it. Again, it's like, I wish they had like thought a little bit more about which one should be on videotape and which should not. Because there's a few that really would have worked on videotape, which were on film. And I this is one where I'm like, oh, I wish this was on film and just had that extra, you know, like classic Hollywood crisp look to it. Still a great episode, but yeah, th this one did bum me out with the video of it. <laughs> anyway, this is Time Enough Podcast. You can find us at Time Enough Pod on Twitter and Facebook. We are on Patreon if you'd like to throw a dime in, help keep the lights on, or just see this and the other podcasts that we do. Um, I do Matt and Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary, where we talk about general sci-fi films. Uh, if you're into video games, here's Luke Loves Pokemon. You can guess what that's about. Monster Mash, which covers Monster Hunter games, and The Game Game Show, which is a game about games with four... Uh, British guys screaming insults at each other. And an extra plug today because Scott's here. Scott and I have been working on music together for years. And you can find a bunch of the work we've done at um, rovingsagemedia.bandcamp.com. You'll be like, oh, there's like 30 albums there. That That's all, all us. Well, you're on 80% of it, so. <laughs> so, yeah, do check that out if you want to hear some of our own trippy noises. Anyway, it is... Oh, it's 10.20. I think we need to board that 10.22 flight. Miami Beach, here we go. Or... Yeehaw, groovy. <laughs> Stay well, people. Bye. Bye.